Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be with you here this morning, and even though it doesn't look quite like you and I had probably expected it to look this morning, as you know, I'm not Chris Mills, Pastor Chris Mills. Uh, What a blessed morning nonetheless, right? And happy Father's Day to you, if that applies this morning. It's really good to be with you. I found out 48 hours ago that I would be with you. Uh, forgive me for the tickle in my throat this morning. I think I'm getting a little bit of a cold. And so uh, just, just wearing the mask just so you're not freaked out. Um, but it's good to be with you this morning and uh, excited to share God's word with you. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. I will take a minute to introduce myself uh, have the uh, honor and privilege of being able to walk alongside uh, Chris and Sarah as over these several years uh, we begin to we begin to see the manifestation of what they've worked and labored so hard to plant here in Hell's Kitchen, which is one community church. And thanks to all of the leaders, uh, you guys, I won't name your names for fear I'll miss one of one of those names, but uh, this is your labor of love as well. And so Pastor Chris is actually kind of celebrating two, two births this uh, Father's Day, the birth of a new church, as well as the birth of a daughter. And so we're excited. I, uh, as a church planting missionary, I guess you'd say a catalyst, Uh, I just have the opportunity to work with people like Chris and Sarah throughout the tri-state New York City metro. I live in Jersey, came over from Jersey this morning. Uh, Sometimes I'm out on Long Island. Sometimes I'm in Manhattan or Staten Island or Brooklyn uh, walking alongside other Chris's and Sarah's as they're seeking to start other one community churches throughout the boroughs. And so it's great to be with you guys this morning. This has been, this metro has been my home since 2003. And so even though I'm a visitor here, please know that uh, this city and you all have a dear place in my heart. You know, I want to, I've entitled this morning's message, When is Enough Enough? We've probably all asked that question or thought that at different times, right? When is enough enough in different contexts? Uh, I want to kind of put it in a certain context this morning by introducing, um, introducing the topic by saying, you probably heard the old saying, imitation is the highest form of flattery. You've heard that, right? Imitation is the highest form of flattery. And when we are infatuated, we imitate the object of our infatuation. And uh, I thought of kind of a a, a trivial example of that. I remember when my wife and I began uh, dating and when we were newly married, how I was much more willing to sit with her uh, to watch rom-coms and musicals and things that I might not otherwise have an interest in. And she tried really hard to get into football and basketball and those sorts of things. And so we would kind of humor each other and, you know, Thank God for technology these days so that uh, we can still kind of indulge one another a little bit. But while I'm watching uh, Dancing and Singing, I know we're in Hell's Kitchen. I'm sorry. You know, it's just not my first love, dancing and singing. But while I'm watching those things with her, uh, I can be, you know, scrolling my message board. And while she's sitting and indulging me through a football game, she could be playing Candy Crush or, uh, or checking her Instagram. But... Uh, Yeah, I'm grateful for my wife, Jean. And I say all that a little bit tongue-in-cheek to, again, make sort of a point that imitation is the highest form of flattery. The greatest compliment that we can pay to another person is to emulate them, to imitate them, right? And so this morning's scripture passage really kind of uh, speaks to that in, I think, an interesting way in Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And I think we have it up here. 
Let me ask you to stand one more time just in honor of reading God's word. And I won't cause you to do too many calisthenics this morning, but but, uh, let's read this together, if you will. They're red letters because these are the spoken words of Jesus. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. Father, I just ask your blessing upon the reading of your word and pray, Father, that you would just uh, speak through my heart and my lips this morning, your heart and your message in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. You know, Jesus has just, just by way of background, Jesus has just called his 12 disciples as his first followers in preparation for beginning his public ministry. I don't know how much you know about Jesus. Spent about three years ministering after 30 years of preparation. And of course, he was crucified uh, in his 33rd year of life. And so note that in this passage, Jesus calls, in this really short passage we read, Jesus calls them and then he sends them. And Jesus makes it clear in this passage if you read the whole passage, that his followers are going to encounter difficulties. And we're not going to focus on the difficulties this morning, but here's what Jesus says. If you resemble me, you're going to be persecuted like I was persecuted. If you resemble me, then you're going to encounter resistance and uh, and hardship in the same way that I did. And so his point really in speaking these words is, do you want to resemble me or not? Do you want to imitate me or not? And so they will encounter persecution, and he wants them to know to expect this if they truly resemble him as their master. And so today, again, I don't want to focus upon those hardships so much. I want to focus upon what does it mean to resemble Jesus? What does it mean to imitate him? Again, just to reiterate those words that we read together a few seconds ago, the disciple will be like his teacher, right? And the servant will be like his master, And so I want you to consider with me just briefly this morning, what does it mean to be a disciple? Whether this is your first day in a church building, a Christian church service in your entire life, or whether you've spent literally, you know, figuratively your whole life uh, in church, let's revisit the question this morning. What does it mean to be a disciple? I'd like to contend that I think there are two really dangerous traps that we kind of have to get out of the way first and foremost this morning when it comes to defining or understanding what does it mean to live the life of a disciple. One is that we set this incredibly high bar, right, to, uh, to say that, in essence, a disciple is some sort of special category of Christian, like a super Christian, if you will. So we set this incredibly high bar. The other trap that we can fall into if we're not careful and trying to understand what does it mean to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is to, is to set an incredibly low bar and to say that, wow, you know, I attend this church over here, therefore I am a disciple, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I'm a follower. Um, so shamefully high bar, or shamefully low bar, uh, incredibly unreachably high bar. Um, and those are two challenges that we can encounter sometimes when we're thinking about what does it mean to be a disciple. And so that's kind of where the title for my message comes from this morning. When is enough enough, Right? Uh, we think about the high bar, we think about the low bar. Where's the truth? What is the standard? When is enough enough? And I want to contend this morning that a disciple is not a special category of Christian. It's not. Um, a disciple is a Christian. But get this calling ourselves a Christian doesn't necessarily mean that we're a disciple. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're faithfully pursuing the life of a follower, of a God-glorifying follower of Christ. And so 
What it should mean is that as a Christian, I'm earnestly pursuing the life of a disciple because a disciple is an imitator of his or her Lord. That's literally what it means. A disciple is an imitator. And so that's where I want to focus uh, today. The main point of my message, uh, as I'll share with you, is really throughout his teachings, maybe you know that the Gospels, what we call the Gospels, or the recordings of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, essentially are four different narrative accounts of the life of Jesus. And the Uh, They echo one another. They complement one another. They highlight different aspects of Jesus' life and his purpose here upon earth. Um, But these gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, throughout them, Jesus provides us with plenty of guidance and understanding what he expects for those who consider ourselves his followers, his disciples. And so three things in Jesus' own words that I really want to highlight this morning briefly are that uh, a disciple of Jesus is one who abides in his word, A disciple of Jesus is one who bears much fruit, and a disciple of Jesus is one who has love for one another. Now, if you spend a lot of time in church, you could make the case that a disciple is a whole lot more than just these three things. Um, These are kind of three big buckets, I guess, that uh, I'm pushing forward for us to look at this morning. You could make the case that there is more to the life of a disciple than this, but I challenge you to say that a disciple is anything less uh, is, is less than these three requirements. So let's jump in this morning together and move pretty quickly through this passage just to see what Jesus has to say to us. As a disciple, number one, it is enough that you and I abide in the Lord and in his word. Now, I have to tell you, even in saying those words out loud, I've spent a lot of time in church since I was 10 years old, since I came to faith uh, in Jesus Christ, and he became my Lord and Savior. But even in saying that first point, I'm thinking, wow, that sounds super churchy. Uh, It is enough that you and I abide in the Lord and in his word. So let me break it down. Okay, let me break it down. Part of the reason I use that word abide is because Jesus used that word abide. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31, He said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word and my words abide in you, truly you are my disciples. Again, uh, this is all uh, what we call the word of God, the Bible, right? But there's some, in some of our Bibles, there's an editorial feature called red lettering. And in some of those, uh, in some cases, or maybe in your app, Uh, It may be highlighted with red letters because these are like the spoken, quoted words uh, of Jesus. And so these are red letter words. Jesus said, if you abide in my word and my word abides in you, truly you are my disciples. And so here's how I'd like for us to think about abiding. Everything in our relationship with God always begins with spending time with him. If we say we want to be an imitator of the Lord, then it's essential that we understand what, what our Lord is like, uh, what his values and his practices and his commands are. And so we have to spend time with him. Everything begins with practicing his presence. It's another sort of way of saying it. And yet I would contend, I don't know if it's true, Brother Steve, in uh, Tennessee or some of, some of those of you who are uh, here from uh, Tennessee or other places this morning, I, I suspect it's true where you but I know it's true in the tri-state New York City metro that abiding, like being present in our shoes, where we're at in the moment with the people we're with is one of the hardest things. It's one of the simplest things to say. It's one of the hardest things to do. Uh, Because to, to abide means to stay, 
to remain, to continue to wait for with expectation, to be present. And it is, uh, it's sort of this passive activity or act of passivity that willfully, get this, willfully refuses to be distracted by anything else except the moment that we're in, to abide with the Lord, to be present uh, in our time, uh, in our moment with the Lord, in our communion with the Lord. Man, when these folks were singing up here just a few moments ago, I was all there, right there. Uh, I wasn't any place else. Uh, and, uh, and I was blessed to be here, knowing that I was in the Lord's presence. I hope you felt the same. You know, when we commit ourselves to abide, to wait, to linger with expectation over God's word, the Lord speaks to us. And we begin to understand, we begin to understand his, what he speaks to us. We begin to recognize his voice so that he speaks to us at other times. You want to have your mind blown. Uh, it's a powerful, powerful thing to begin to hear the Lord's voice speaking to you through his Holy Spirit. And when we commit ourselves to, to wait and linger with expectation over God's word, that's what happens. John chapter 15, verse 7, again in Jesus' own words, reminds us that to abide with Christ is to permit his word to abide in us. And he says that this gives us the power to commune with him and also to ask faith, expecting a willing response from the Lord. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Mark records, the gospel of Mark uh, in our Bibles records that as Jesus called his first followers, this is what it says in Mark chapter 3, verse 14. He appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, get this, so that they might be with him. That was his first priority. He appointed, he called his first followers, and he said, job number one, be with me. And he said later, he also said in that verse, if you finish reading, uh, that he did have an intention to send them out, that he had a purpose and a plan, that he had things that he wanted to assign to them. But the first job number one was be with me, be present with me, and everything else would follow from that. It was utmost, if you will, in Christ's mind and that of his apostles, uh, that uh, that they would be with him, that, again, they would remain, that they would linger, that they would wait, that they would stay, that they would abide in their shoes, where they're standing, with him. And so this was given prior to anything else that they might experience because of their walk with the Lord. Did you realize that, again, just thinking about how difficult that actually is nowadays, and I don't presume that you're like me, but I, I suspect that you may have some empathy kind of with, uh, with how I experience this whole challenge of abiding. The average human attention span, according to Microsoft Corp., right, Take that for what it's worth. Uh, says that the average human attention span is now less than that of a goldfish, right? You've all, you've, you've all heard the, the parable or the, the uh, you've all heard the saying that, you know, your attention span is shorter than a goldfish. Well, according to Microsoft Corp., it really is now for all of us um, because a goldfish's attention span supposedly is about 12 seconds. And since 2000, right around the time that smartphones came out, um, the human attention span has shrank from nine seconds, pushing eight now. And I know that's very believable for a lot of us because we live moment to moment to distracted moment, don't we? And we can hardly bear to sit through a stoplight without checking our Instagram or answering a text message. 
And uh, a lot of us love wearable technology, right? And I, I was thinking, uh, so, it, so that we can get our, our messages and our social media feeds and that sort of thing, news. And even while I was composing this message and thinking through this, get this, I was at my computer and there were three pop-ups, three pop-up notifications. Now, I didn't open or read any one of them, but in two or three-second dis- three distracted intervals, I read who they were from and what they were about so that I would know whether or not I needed to go and answer or respond to those, right? Goldfish, right? <laughs> Goldfish. Uh, we don't know how to abide or linger with each other anymore, do we? Much less to linger with the Lord. And we are always in this state of semi-distraction. You know, in, uh, in, in the worst cases, we glamorize it, right? Uh, we call it multitasking. Uh, you know, we're proud of how well we multitask. And, uh, you know, ADD used to be, and I believe still is, a genuine disorder, a challenge from which a lot of people suffer and struggle to focus and live productive lives these days. Uh, and yet we wear it around as a badge of honor. Oh, pardon me, you know, pardon my ADD. My team needs some time-sensitive response from me. You know, so, you know, can, can I push pause on this conversation? You know, not just be who I'm with in that moment. Some of you can't help yourselves. You're doing it right now. I've been guilty of that too, by the way. And I've been, I have been through this process recently of rediscovering stillness. I had the opportunity to lead a discipleship group for some guys in a church in Staten Island recently. It was a year-long commitment, which is a big commitment since I live in Jersey. So $16 to cross the bridge every week to go be with these guys who weren't even a part of my church. But what I found was, as we were reading through the scriptures together, coming together for 90 minutes and kind of discussing what we, what we had recorded in our journals, you know, the, the thing that was so profound for me was being reminded that the mutual accountability and the daily communion with the Lord were so rewarding. Coming back to these guys and saying, you know, I didn't do five days this week, but I was with the Lord three days. Or, guys, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I just didn't really pull it off this week. It was almost funny how that uh, we, we could come up with so many good excuses for why we couldn't spend five to ten minutes in the Word of God, listening to Him speak to us and capturing our reflections in a journal. Um, but here's one of the things that, that really came away that I really came away with. <clears throat> These were such common rhythms, uh, being with the Lord, walking with him, talking with him, listening to him, trusting him. As we read through the Old Testament, some, some of us don't even touch the Old Testament, right? Because it's like, it's like reading Greek or the Hebrew in which it was originally written. You know, it's like uh, we don't really delve into the word of God because it's, it's intimidating to us. But as we read through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, what, we, what, what I began to see were these constant themes of God saying to his servants like Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Samuel, John the Baptist, you know, Mary, Joseph, Zachariah, Elizabeth, on and on and on was walk with me, talk with me, listen to me. Trust me. And as simple as it may sound, it is enough, right? Enough is enough. It is enough. And all that we need to spend time each day abiding in God's presence. And he's told us that a really terrific way of doing that is to spend time in his word, allowing him to speak to us and to personalize 
his words to us through prayer, through reading the Bible, through meditation on God's words to us each day. Now, I, I know we're all coming from different places. I want to say this. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll remember to repeat this because I feel it in my bones, that we're all starting from different places in this journey. Start from where you are, okay? Start from where. I'm not trying to set this high bar and say, you got to be here before you leave today, Right? Start from where you are. That's all God expects of any of us. And it is enough for us to begin. Man, you know, kudos to you for, for saying, I want to be, I want to be undistracted and abiding with the Lord, even for the, just this short time today. So kudos to you. Not as a duty, but as vital to our relationship with the Lord and essential to keeping our distracted, challenging lives centered on him and framed in an eternal perspective, Right? All right, so it's enough that we abide because as his disciples, this will be foundational uh, to bearing much fruit, which is really the second thing I want to emphasize. As a disciple of Jesus, it is enough that you and I bear much fruit. Again, I realize if you've not spent a lot of time in church, you're kind of wondering, okay, is this, you know, is that like Christianese, bear much fruit, or is that like greenhouse talk, or what is that? Jesus said, again, I'm just using Jesus' words, and I'll break it down, but in John chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus said, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So he said, the proof is in the pudding, right? Proof of concept means that if you're my follower, there will be fruit in your life, fruit uh, from activities, behavior, character that resembles what you see in me. If you claim to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, there will be proof, evidence to support that claim. That's a reasonable deduction, right? And he calls this fruit. So let's talk about fruit bearing for just a moment, okay? I'm not a farmer, an agriculturalist. Uh, I would even be challenged to say that I have a green thumb, right? But, um, but I've been a teacher of, uh, of the scriptures, the Bible, for a long, long time. Uh, and what I can tell you uh, is that with all my theological training and a little bit of internet research, I can tell you that the word that we translate as fruit or fruits occurs a lot in the scripture. In the New Testament alone, 27 small books of the Bible, the word fruit or fruits occurs some 60 times. Now get this. So, so this would be true whether we're talking in a religious context or not, right? If something's repeated, it's probably important, right? So fruit bearing is repeated 60 times. Now get this, uh, 44 of those occurrences come when Jesus himself talked about fruit bearing. 44, 75% of the time, the word that we translate as fruit bearing are the words of Jesus. And so I want to know what he means, right? You might have heard, uh, maybe if you spent some time in church, you've heard of Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 24. It's a letter from Paul to a church that he started in Galatia, like a one community church that he started in Galatia back 2,000 years ago. Um, so the apostle Paul talks about character traits like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Uh, and these are character traits that should be present. They should be fruit, Right? The character traits born as fruit in the life of someone who's following Jesus and spending time with Jesus. But I just got through telling you that Jesus, out of his own mouth, uses the phrase fruit or fruits 44 times or 75% of the time. So thanks, Paul. Let's see what Jesus has to say about fruit bearing. 
Um, I'm not implying, by the way, that they contradict each other in any way, but if we're to make a personal application of what Jesus himself says about what it means to be a fruit-bearing follower of him, it's, it's worth it that we, that we at least take a stab at trying to get our heads around uh, what it is that Jesus had to say about being a fruit-bearer as a follower of his. I'm not going to read every single uh, phrase here, but you can see in this passage uh, that Jesus' repeated statements in the gospel describe a disciple as a fruit bearer. Number one, I mean, I've already kind of made that point. You can find it in Jesus' own words. <clears throat> Jesus describes a disciple as someone who's fruit bearing. He says that they are known by their fruit. Like, how do you know an apple tree, right? It has apples on it. Uh, I'm not, again, I'm not a botanist or anything like that. So unless it's got apples, it it might as well be an orange tree to me uh, or a magnolia tree. But they're known by their fruit. They're maturing in their fruit bearing. Anything that bears fruit has to mature uh, into that point. They're gatherers of fruit for eternal life. And so basically what this speaks to is that fruit bearing disciples seek to influence other people. For the, uh, with the love of Christ. So they just, they're described as fruit-bearing. They're also described, Jesus also describes what it means to be an unfruitful disciple. And he says that these bear bad fruit, or they bear no fruit, or they bear fruit, but they rob God of the glory of that fruit. And so if you want to do an in-depth study, you could snap a picture of this and, and I go dive in a little bit later this week. But uh, thirdly, Jesus' statements in the Gospels describe what it means to be a fruitful disciple. Uh, First, as one who hears and understands God's word. And again, you can read a lot of this in the parable of the sower in the Gospels, three of the Gospels. One who hears and understands God's word. One who dies to self. Go read that in John 12. I'm not going to unpack that. Uh, But one who dies to self. uh, And one who is pruned in John chapter 15. So, Let me break it down again for just a second before we move on. What is biological fruit? What is biological fruit? Uh, What is the fruit of a new child, a new Mills child, right? Uh, It's excess growth. It's growth that can only occur when there's more than enough, more than enough, more than enough health to sustain the plant itself. Uh, Sarah had to be more than healthy enough to sustain herself in order to gestate and give birth to this beautiful new baby. Uh, So a plant that bears fruit has to have more than enough health to sustain itself, more than enough water, more than enough sunlight, so that the healthiness, get this, overflows as new fruit. Now, that's probably biologically and scientifically um, Reader's Digest level explanation, but a plant cannot will itself to produce fruit. It needs more than enough, enough nutrients, enough water, enough sunlight. And so you may say that as a disciple, as a follower or a would-be follower of Christ, I can't do that. I can't do, that's too high a standard. I can't will myself to do that or be that, what I think and have been told that a disciple is, a follower of Christ is. Um, You can, however, get this, feed yourself as you would feed a plant, feed yourself upon God's word. You can avoid the things, the distractions of the world that keep you from abiding in Christ. Uh, you can find, you can, you can look to Christ for hope and for peace, and you can bring glory to God by the way that you live your life, and uh, draw strength from the S O N Son, right? 
who promises that we don't have to do it on our own. We don't have to bear fruit on our own. Uh, But that fruit is born from our lives by, again, spending time with him and allowing him to work through us. He says we'll grow and we'll bear fruit by imitating Jesus and by nourishing our spiritual lives with his word and with this type of communion, by being around other believers, brothers and sisters. So there's much, there's so many things that we could say about what it means to bear fruit. Again, I hope you get that. I'm trying to do very, very broad strokes this morning. But essentially, in the eyes of Jesus himself, in summary, Jesus' disciples are Christ-imitating ever-maturing, disciple-making, or influencing followers who fortify themselves with his word, who submit themselves to his hand, and who die to ourselves so that God's glory grows in our lives. All right, I should have put that out there somewhere. But, uh, but anyway, in summary, all right? And then thirdly, as a disciple of Jesus, it is enough that you and I love one another. Again, there's I'm going to say far too little about this this morning, but in Jesus' own words, in John 13, verse 35, Jesus states clearly that one of the key standards for, by which his disciples will be known, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I think, you know, if you just let that sink in for just a second, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. You know, we can probably all think about circles in our lives that we can sort of draw this figurative circle and we can say, man, you know, I love my wife. I love my children. I love my son-in-law. I love my in-laws most of the time. Uh, you know, and, and, and you can probably do the same. You can probably draw some sort of circle around your life and say, yeah, I'm okay with this. I can think of people in my life that I love. But what happens when you start to draw the circle a little bit larger? And when we draw that circle large enough in in obedience and trying to understand what Jesus is getting at, we begin to draw that circle and we say, man, I want to obey this verse, but if I draw my circle too large, then I begin to think about these people whose ways I don't understand or these people who vote differently than I do or these people who conduct their lives differently than me. It's a challenge for all of us to think in terms of how large will we draw that circle in obedience to this verse. Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So even if somebody's behavior is off-putting, can we still say, I love these people? Even if these people vote differently than I do, sorry to be meddling this morning, uh, can we still say, I love these people, even though we disagree strongly over some things? Well, how broadly did Jesus draw his circle? By this, all people, Jesus says, will know that you are my disciples. If you love others in your family, if you love other Jews, if you love other followers of me, no, he drew his circle larger than that. And before we conclude our time together this morning, um, I want to just refer you to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to try to summarize it. It's known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you may have heard of it even if you've not spent much time in church. But essentially what happens is when approached uh, by a highly educated lawyer who wanted to test Jesus, the lawyer asked Jesus, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a fair question, right? If you ever met Jesus physically, you'd want to ask, okay, uh, 
What must I do? That's what the guy asked. When Jesus replied, what is written in the law? You know, you're, you're a degreed scholarly guy. What is written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He had spent some time in a classroom. Uh, Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Go and do it, and you will live. But Luke tells, get, get this, Luke tells us that the lawyer wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify himself. Don't we all want to justify ourselves? Like daily, moment by moment, we always want to justify ourselves. In essence, the lawyer was asking, how big do I need to draw my circle? Who's my neighbor, right? Whom do I have responsibility for loving? Where does my responsibility to love end? And so Jesus tells this parable, this heavenly story with an earthly meaning in which a priest who's a servant of the temple and then a Levite whose entire clan, that was their generational job, was to care for the temple. They passed by unwilling to help a man who had been beaten, robbed, and left for dead. And as the brief story unfolds, what we see is that uh, only a half-blooded Jew Named a Samaritan, called a Samaritan, who was despised by the Jews and viewed as unclean and someone who didn't worship the Lord properly. Even uh, only this Samaritan refused to pass on the far side of the road and not take responsibility for this man who had been beaten, robbed, and left for dead. Only this man put this man upon his donkey, took him to a hotel, cared for his needs, uh, even in his absence, cared for his needs, paid for all that this man would need to recover. And so get this, what's important and what we cannot afford to miss in this passage is that Jesus' main point was, in telling this story, Jesus' main point was, if you would love the Lord as you should, then you must love your neighbor as yourself. And this was his answer to the question. If you go back to the very first of that passage, this was his answer to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself because that's what I do. The proof of concept or the evidence for those of us who say we love the Lord and want to be like Jesus and follow him and evidence his behavior and our character, the proof of concept, the evidence is our loving behavior of neighbors. And Jesus used this illustration of benevolence uh, towards someone who's vulnerable, but in reality, Jesus, would say, Jesus was saying, you have to love the vulnerable and the oppressors. You have to uh, love those who look one way and those who look another way. You have to love those who vote one way and those who vote another way. You have to love the privileged and the downtrodden. And so certainly followers of Jesus, there are times in our lives when we have to stand for things that we believe Jesus wants us to stand for right? We can grieve over the sin in someone's life. Hopefully, we grieve over the sin in our own lives. We can grieve over the sin in someone's life without discarding that person or devaluing that person. And that's Jesus' message in this passage. When we draw the circles around whom we feel responsible to act lovingly, smaller than Jesus would draw them, then we've begun to behave in ways that don't imitate the Lord bottom line, and which do not characterize his character. So as 
Let me just draw my comments to a conclusion. Why is it that as Christians, we can recite John 3.16, some of you can anyway, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish eternally, but should have everlasting life. Why is it that we can quote that verse, but that we struggle with verses like 1 John 3.16? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for others. Listen, one who abides, one who bears fruit, one who loves his or her neighbor as ourselves. Uh, A disciple may be more than these, but certainly not less than these. And the challenge to all of us this morning is to embrace these three things and to say, when is enough enough? Uh, Let me start with these three, because that's a tall order all by itself. I want to ask if you'll just bow your heads with me and uh, as, uh, as we transition and just conclude this time this morning. Uh, I don't know whether, uh, again, you've ever had the opportunity to uh, understand what it means to follow the Lord, whether you've ever had the desire to follow the Lord. But what I do realize is that a lot of times we have a misperception about what it means to be a quote-unquote Christian or a quote-unquote disciple. What I want to challenge us all this morning to do is uh, to commit ourselves to abide with, to spend time with the Lord, to know his heart. Uh, he, and that's exactly what he says. He says, he says know me, that I'm a gentle shepherd, uh, that uh, I love you. I'm willing to lay down my life for you. And so I want to challenge you even this morning to where, starting from wherever you are. And we're, we Nothing we ever do will we start from the same place unless we go run the New York City Marathon. And even then, you and I lining up alongside each other are not starting from the same place because you're probably in better shape than I am. But we never start from the same place. And the Lord just says, start from where you are. I'm going to do business with the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey as I go home today because I have to cross a bridge or a tunnel. Any of you guys ever been to New Jersey? I'm sorry. Uh, I need to appreciate that. I got to do business with the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. But did you know that uh, by crossing a bridge or a tunnel, Jesus says, I'm the bridge or the tunnel to a right relationship with God. I'm the eternal Port Authority. I'm the way and the truth and the life. And he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Let me pray with us. Father, I just want to ask that in these moments of stillness, Lord, however much of what your word has said to us this morning resonates or sinks into our hearts. I pray, God, that you would just help us to personalize it and to just say yes to you, Lord, to say, yes, I want to take the next step in following you. Yes, I want to take the next step in growing as a disciple. Yes, I want to bear much fruit. Lord, help me abide in you. Lord, uh, we love you. We thank you, Father, uh, that you've given us this time, uh, Lord, just to hear you speak this morning. Lord, may we just, um, may, may we take responsibility for it and receive the blessing uh, from knowing when enough is enough in Jesus' name.